Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to It Never Gets Old, a first-hand account of all things secondhand and sustainable. This is a podcast about secondhand fashion as well as sustainable fashion and what it means for your body, what it means for your closet, what it means for your wallet, and what it means for our future. I am your host, Meredith Feynman, coming in from D.C., no longer traveling. Shout out to my bestie in the Westie, Sarah Lynn. We're reunited. What's up, Mayor? I really missed you. Um, you seem to have had a pretty fun trip. I missed you, too. I was gone for almost three weeks, which is the longest I've ever been away from anything, particularly my email and my doggy. And so I certainly obviously bought a lot of secondhand things and then some discounted things. I need to like talk to you about all the fashions of where I went, but I definitely did miss seeing your face over Skype (laughs) and being able to talk at you about consignment. So tell me more about Copenhagen, a city that I've never been to. I hear only great things. And there was a fashion summit that you were attending. Yes. So if you heard the mini episode last week, that was about just my initial impressions of the Copenhagen Fashion Summit. I went because it's what I care about. It's fashion and it's sustainability. Uh, And it was a two-day summit in Copenhagen, Denmark in its 10th year. And it celebrates and also asks a lot of questions about what we're going to do about the future of fashion. I've said it before, I'll say it again. My belief is that the future of fashion is nothing new. But there was a really interesting group of people there. It was divided among very high fashion types, like Francois-Henri Penault, who runs a holding company that owns brands like Gucci. Uh, And then it was some sustainable fashion brands, like in Allbirds. Then it was a lot of people working in technology, whether they're making clothing out of pineapples or clothing out of ocean plastic. Like really interesting. There was blockchain technology that's now going to be used to help prevent fakes, which is so interesting. Um, It was a really, really interesting mixture of people. We're all asking the same question. How are we going to make fashion more sustainable? And some of that obviously is secondhand and is recycling. When you go to a, a summit, right, or, you know, Whatever it is, it, you know, it, it, a bunch of people who have like-minded feelings about a certain thing. Did you walk away from it feeling like you had some answers? 
So a lot of different things. I've never been to a conference that I just sort of wanted to go to. This was a really unique experience for me and I sort of was an outsider perspective in that it was my first year. We just launched It Never Gets Old. I've been consignment shopping for 20 years, but like I haven't talked to that many people in the actual industry. It's something I care about. It's something we're getting into and I now consider myself a part of. And Sarah, we've seen each other at many a conference, like a South by Southwest. It's always sort of this like crazed networking. You're sort of on all the time. You're working usually. This is the first time I've ever gone to a conference basically for pleasure. I want to listen. I want to meet people. I want to talk about it. It never gets old. Uh, and so the conversations I had were really wide ranging. A lot of people there were intensely working on behalf of their companies or brands or bosses. But others were there to, you know, push their new technologies, like something like a repack, which is a company that is aiming to eliminate a lot of the waste that comes from online shopping, particularly boxes. You know, it was everybody was coming at it from a different angle and super interesting. Like I'm, I'm trying to think of all the different exhibitions I saw. There were people making black dye out of wood waste. I mean, it was pretty incredible. <laughs> so Merritt, sounds like you met a lot of cool people had a lot of nice conversations. What did you take away from the summit? Well, so one of the issues that I'm learning in sustainability, particularly as it intersects with fashion. So fashion is an incredibly wasteful industry. And it's sort of trying to not backtrack, but come up with better solutions, but also continue to be very lucrative. And it's an industry that's based on having the least and greatest. So what was really interesting to me was meeting people that are completely along the spectrum of sustainability. Some people were there on behalf of very, very, very high-end luxury brands to try to figure out like how they're going to get in on not only what is important for the planet, but also what I really believe sort of is the future of fashion and what consumers are going to care about. They had to deal with that. Then you had people making fabrics out of pineapples that are there on the technology side. You know, there were these all these different exhibitions around varying technologies, like lots of different uses of plastic and recycled plastic, lots about waste, as I said, repack, people creating fibers and alternate ways to not have things like polyester that is a pollutant that it doesn't it doesn't biodegrade. We have a huge waste problem. So it was very interesting to sort of see this spectrum of people in sustainability and then this spectrum of people in fashion. There were like many fabulous people dressed in their outfits and then there were people who are really sort of on the like tech side. It was it was just a really interesting mishmash of people. You say people were creating fibers? Like we're like we're like figuring out how to replace polyester? Oh yeah, so this is a huge so as I said, like I believe that this sort of summit will only continue and grow. It's in its 10th year, which is really amazing. Denmark is incredibly far ahead when it comes to sustainability. They're, like I was walking out of the airport yesterday, early, early morning, and it's like by 2020 will be a zero emissions airport. Everybody bikes. But yeah, I mean, this is what people are trying to figure out because you have all this stuff you've produced. And I believe that a lot of the sustainability is in not creating anything new. But then you have this this issue in fashion, which is about newness and about novelty. So it's like, okay, how are we going to create things in a more sustainable way? We have this whole supply chain issue that everybody's trying to solve from a kind of different angle. So I wouldn't say that I came out with one answer. I would say I came out with a lot of really interesting new friends, a lot of new thoughts about 
you know, the future of fashion being nothing new, but the future of fashion also being based in technology, being based in alternative materials that do biodegrade because we have so much stuff. And it really made me think, and as I said in the mini episode, that I really want It Never Gets Old to also be about the world of sustainable fashion. You know, it's not just any more people that have been on this for a long time. It's like high fashion is really beginning to add in sustainable components, and that's where it's all going. I will also say it was a super international summit, which is really fun. I've been to a lot of conferences that, whether they're about business, women in business, uh, entrepreneurship, that tend to be pretty American. So it was really cool to meet people from all over the world. And of course, they really thought about this in terms of sustainability down to a T. Like, oh my God. So I think I said in the mini episode that I had this, I'm obsessed with hydration. Sarah, you know this about me. Like I'm always drinking so much water and I had a 1.5 liter single plastic, you know, single use plastic water bottle in my bag that I hid because that's extremely not kosher at a like, you know, recycle the world conference. (laughs) Um, But like, you know, the lunch was vegan and all of the like vegetables were ugly vegetables, which means like, you know, we throw out so much produce that we could be eating because it's like not visually pleasing. So they really thought about all of it. You know, all the to go boxes, everything bio was biodegradable. There was boxed water. It was just very, very well executed and very, very cool. So I had a great time. I would love to go back. And I'm really excited to see more of what comes from this really sort of exploding, exploding sector. Besides the summit, which sounds really fun, Copenhagen, a city I've not been to. Everybody likes Scandinavia. So what what were your takeaways? So, you know, Danish design is the, the Bauhaus aesthetic, the... This, the, their design past is epic. I think I said this in the mini episode, but if you've ever sat on a chair worth sitting in, like all the chairs that are the nicest are always Danish design. Like Denmark is just known for design. And that definitely is apparent in its fashion. Like this, this rise in sort of a minimalistic aesthetic, whether it's from the row, whether it's like an Everlane where we're sort of stripping down less of the frou-frou, I think that's very clear that it's sort of Scandinavian Danish adjacent. So when you go to Copenhagen, everyone bikes. So like you have to wear an outfit you can bike in, but people are out here biking and whatever. I could never. Uh, <laughs> like I, I, I could never for so many different reasons. But yeah, the Danish girls are dressed really well. So two things that I got obsessed with. One, like, so you know the hair clips we had when we were little, the like, they're like silver clippy things you stuck in your hair, just like hair clips. Yeah. That I used to, in fourth grade, paint with nail polish so I could get like different colored ones. Those are back in a big way. So in Copenhagen, and I think like it just in fashion right now, barrettes uh-huh. are like really big. Cool. So like saw a lot of those, saw a lot of blondes, obviously. And then everybody's in really cool socks. I don't know if that's maybe comes from the fact that like you see your socks while you're biking, but I did get some new, very cool, like sparkly socks. So that was cool. I would say like that's a Danish <laughs> thing. But also since it's such a sustainable place, like I went to a million secondhand shops uh, and I tried to buy only Danish designers uh, and got some really cool things. And one thing that's really cool about Denmark, at least, is that like the women are, look the women are built strong and, you know, a size that isn't, a, you know, teeny tiny stick. It's not like Italian sizing. So that's cool. It's a little more inclusive. Tall, tall people. They're, they're, tall, it, tall people, too. Yeah. Yeah. You would have it's, you would have a tough time finding some clothing in Denmark. <laughs> 
Yeah, the style was beautiful. Nobody was wearing anything that wasn't chic and also wasn't incredibly functional, which is very Danish. Like, that's that's very Danish. And I, like, looked at a lot of different outfits. But one thing that European women do, which I love, is they wear dresses always with, like, white sneakers or, like, suits with white sneakers. It looks very cool. I saw a lot of that also in Paris, where I also was. I started in Copenhagen. Then I went to Tuscany and became one enormous bowl of pasta. <laughs> I was in Siena, and I found the one like vintage secondhand shop and bought this really cool 80s Fendi shirt that was amazing and then brought my sister-in-law back and she bought a dress and my mom came back and bought an Hermes scarf and so I really then this woman so interesting she runs Aloe and Wolf Vintage which I will link to she took me to her warehouse down the street like I was talking to her about the podcast and we were you know talking about wearing fashion things I almost bought a Gucci hand towel a vintage Gucci hand towel there like sometimes I need to be stopped and her warehouse yeah her warehouse was just like down the street her moped was parked outside because Italy and it was just this enormous I will also share pictures warehouse of mostly vintage stuff and there in Italy I tried to be Italian designers you know get the local cuisine but it was just like racks and racks this huge space full of stuff and I had a meltdown it was great (laughs) that sounds wonderful and and very much in your wheelhouse so so you were in Copenhagen you were in Italy in in you know in Tuscany and then you were in Paris did you feel like there were you know like like was there some dichotomy like well first of all I wore the same four shirts for three weeks and I am smelly I mean I showered and like I washed them but like a smelly um no I mean you come back and I realize how much stuff I have and then I promptly like the best time actually to go through your closet and get rid of things is after you get home from a trip particularly a trip that's a little bit longer where you're not carrying that much stuff with you I didn't check a bag I mean I always bring a roll-up duffel uh to then put all my consignment purchases in but I came home and I was like oh my god I have so much stuff I don't need anything Um, And I got rid of a ton of clothing. So that's a really cool perspective shift. And in France, I went to all my consignment stores. I got, since overalls are real back in, I got a pair of short overalls, shorter alls or whatever from Mad Vintage, which is a chain. Oh, and I went to this really cool fashion pop-up. It was like the like the equivalent of um God, I'm gonna sound like such a dork. What is what is Drake's like fashion pop up he had? It was an owl. Uh OVO. Yeah, see, thank you. <laughs> so so I'm in the Marais and there's like these very cool le hype beast francais, like just like French hype beasts, like young people that were wearing really cool outfits and they're all lined up. And I was like, Hey, what you doing? And it in, in France, whether or not they speak English, they don't really want to speak English to you, but nobody would tell me what it was. But like I could see them walking out with like cool bags of stuff and everyone was lined up. So like I knew that it was a, I knew that something was, was happening something, and they were all yeah, yeah. and they were all very well dressed. And like so I asked like three different people and then I like felt kind of sheepish. So I walked away because like they were like, go away, American. And I was like, well, like I want to know what it is. So then I like I was like I walked away and I was like, you know what? I'm going to go in. I'm going to go back and face all those French teenagers who are way cooler than me. I'm going to get in line. You go, Mare. So, so it turns out it was this, it was called Que La Famille. Uh, and it was a pop-up for PNL, which is a huge French rap group. They're very, very, very famous. Oh, and they had this, cool. this pop, yeah, it was super cool. They had this pop-up shop that they did for two days. It happened to coincide. And I stood in line. I got my wristband. And a lot of the stuff was sold out. They had a really, like, and the, the pop-up shop, which I took photos of, was fashioned, like, 
the the insignia was like a beating heart and then all the different stuff was gear with like a beating heart on it so they had like lighters with a beating heart like a like sort of like a dissected like anatomy heart um and a lot of this stuff was sold out but it was super cool they made it look like a warehouse and all the bags were designed really well and i didn't buy anything but like i was like this is where the cool french people are and me so jealous <laughs> it was it was great <laughs> just i yeah and I, I love the fact that you're like eh, i don't really belong here you know what no i'm going to sit in line and i'm going to get my cool lighter no i yeah i stood in, and i didn't buy anything because like i knew it was like super duper cool but like I, you know pnl doesn't mean anything to me and then of course running through my head like being the reseller that I am, I was like, well, what about the margins if I flip this stuff? And I was like, girl, you don't know the, like, secondhand hype beast French fashion world. Like, what are you thinking? So this episode isn't all about my European adventures and everything I bought, though I will be, you know, showing all those photos, including this very strange pair of pants slash amazing pair of pants that I got at an outlet in Paris that, like, have hand, they're hand-painted. They're super weird. They're great. Don't know when I'm ever going to wear them except right now. So this is also about some news in the in the secondhand and eventually sustainable fashion world. So it never gets old. We have these episodes where we're devoted to one topic, but it's important to hop in and keep you up to date on where at least I'm seeing uh, these themes pop up. So something really cool happened this morning. On Good Morning America, Bryce Dallas Howard actually talked about how everything she wore at Cannes was secondhand. Bryce Dallas Howard, I know her. She's an actress. Uh, why was she at Cannes in secondhand clothing? Like, was there, what was her end game? Well, so it was super interesting. So Bryce Dallas Howard, daughter of Ron Howard, not to be confused with Jessica Chastain. They always like joke about how they look like the other. <laughs> and, and you know, I'm sure they're so sick of it, but I get that wrong as well. They no. Very alike. They did a song about it. It was really cute. No. So Bryce Dallas Howard um, is an actress. And I was just a couple people sent this to me, obviously, because she was talking about how not only was she wearing consignment, but she sold a bunch of consignment. And it was it was kind of new for the Good Morning America hosts to hear, which, you know, again, all this stuff is coming up roses sure. and really showing yeah. up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and so but they I actually think they kind of missed the main point here. But let me first talk about her consignment. So she was talking about how, you know, for actresses, when you're visible, when you're when people are taking photos of you, you have to always be wearing something new. This is why stylists exist, whether it's, you know, new new to you. Like it, if you wear something twice, it's a total faux pas and all the tabloids will, you know, tear you up for it. And that's a huge part of being a celebrity. And being an actress. And she was talking about how she gets a budget from the studio for all the different premieres and all the promotions of, of films. A couple years ago, she realized she was spending so much money on all this new clothing. And she actually just bought some of it herself and was like, I just did this. Why am I doing this again? So she started to not only sell things, but also buy everything secondhand. So actually everything she wore this year at the Cannes Film Festival was consignment, which is a really big deal. Cannes is one of the ultimate fashion places, the Cannes Film Festival in Cannes, France. I would say is probably the pinnacle of fashion aside from the Met Ball. I'd say it's sort of like the Met Ball, 
fashion week some but that's gotten like so crazy and out of hand some red carpets like the oscars red carpet but can is a really really big deal fashion wise so this is this is really really cool but something i feel like the gma host missed which she said was part of the reason why she had to go do this was because she wasn't a sample size so sample size i believe is zero and two maybe goes to four it's a very very small range uh, and Bryce Dallas Howard is bigger than that. And so she had to find her own stuff and they, they kind of missed that point. But uh, if you're an actress, they will only lend to you if you're a sample size. Interesting. As a tiny person, which I've talked about on the show before, it's like I'm like zero to two, like two would be like way too big for me. But I'm also not a model. You know, Bryce Dallas Howard is like, a beautiful, tall woman. Yeah, I mean, it's wholly unsurprising. You've seen, we've, I've talked about this in the beginning of the show. Like, I care, we are both sort of straight size women, which mean that we fall into the zero to 12 range and don't have to worry about a lot of things that plus size women do, or that just someone who isn't a zero or two, which is like 99% of people. Um, it's really super messed up. You see it a lot in Hollywood, but it, I remember, you know, sort of like B.B. Rexa, who's sort of like a, a lesser pop star as a size eight and was saying nobody would dress her. And look at Leslie Jones. So this whole kerfuffle happened, I think it was for Oscars a couple years ago, where Leslie Jones of SNL, who's incredible, couldn't get any designer to dress her because she wasn't a, a sample size. But Christian Siriano... Uh, hopped in and designed a dress for her and that has led to him being someone who's really sort of body positive in his designs and it has not only given him a lot of clout made him a lot of money but also was the right thing to do so I'm honestly not at all surprised which is what's truly depressing coming up two more pieces of secondhand news that I've seen from some really major brands So there were two things I wanted to bring up, uh, which is first the Bloomingdale's, uh, which I'm sure you've heard of, very large, longtime retailer. It's 59th Street store in New York City, which is its flagship, its original store on 59th Street, obviously, is having a pop up right now around sustainability. And so it's having eco products. It has varying sections, but it was fascinating. And I haven't seen it in person yet. I've just heard about it. They actually have a consignment and vintage denim section. That surprises me. I, you know, we're talking about New York City. We're talking about Bloomingdale's, talking about a flagship store. There is nothing about Bloomingdale's that, and, and I've always liked Bloomingdale's. Uh, it's, it's one of my favorite department stores. It's where I get my makeup. But uh, it, it does not strike me as the kind of store that would be synonymous with consignment. So what do you think is going on? Well, I think that brands, huge retailers, are realizing the power of secondhand that they can no longer ignore. And I think that it's also couched in conversations and more of a recognition around shoppers wanting to be more sustainable. So I think they partially want to cater to a trend, which I would hope sustainability is not a trend. It's something that we as a nation and as a world adopt uh, as common practice. But I do think that 
it is hot right now to have eco-friendly things, but also to consider that with a fashion lens. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. The future of fashion is nothing new. I'm not surprised. And I'm very curious to see how that consignment pop-up does because I'm kind of curious about the brands that they have there because I'm wondering if they also simultaneously are selling those brands at full price, new retail within the same space. Yeah, I I wonder how long, do you know how long the pop-up is going on for? Because I would think that they're trying to see, you know, how popular is this? And if it's popular, then the pop-up becomes something that's more permanent. Yeah, and I think that this is just going to become more frequent. One of the reasons why I started It Never Gets Old was because I saw this happening. I mean, major retailers, department stores, big brands that are suffering from people wanting to be more sustainable, wanting things at a lower price point, and not minding buying things that aren't the latest and greatest means that they have to catch up too. Uh, and they also know that they are, you know, a tremendous source of waste and pollution. So I think trying to, like, as I've said, I'm not sure if it's putting a Band-Aid on a gushing wound, but co- big companies, particularly department stores, like, that's not as much how we shop anymore. So I think part of it is also really trying to stay relevant. The second piece of news that I saw was that Farfetch, which is a luxury online, probably one of the largest online retailers of luxury, uh, and the idea behind Farfetch is that you're able to shop boutiques around the world, and these very, very high-end boutiques upload their stock, and then Farfetch manages it for them. I noticed they have a vintage section. This is new? It's new. Uh, it's new. I'm not sure how new, but I I don't really shop online, which is unusual. But I was looking at Farfetch for something. I don't remember what. And I saw that they all of a sudden have a vintage tab. So again, I think that whether they're pulling from vintage stores and it looked like they had some of their own vintage stock as well, all these major players are realizing the power of secondhand and that they have to kind of get in the game and not only be on top of that, but also they're kind of like, oh, no, we have to figure out how to incorporate this into our current business model. Well, and the word vintage specifically uh, denotes something that sounds pretty in Farfetch's wheelhouse, right? These are probably nice vintage items, not kind of old consignment items that would go for five bucks somewhere. Oh, yeah. These are all like high end. That's what's interesting, too, about what's happening to vintage right now. And I think I sort of see this with Farfetch is is vintage, as we've discussed, can be anything from a vintage $5 T-shirt to a vintage Hermes handbag that is a collector's item at Sotheby's. But I think that they they want to want to feature some of these very high end items now alongside current brands. It's only going to keep happening um, I'm trying to remember what store I was in. Uh, oh, this was back when Nasty Gal had Sofia Amoroso's, what was eBay, then became a large online retailer and went to brick and mortar. Her stores had all new stock but had vintage Chanel handbags. So I think it's it's very interesting to see all of these changes happen. Well, It Never Gets Old certainly has our finger on the pulse then because sounds like we're right in, in the, uh, the, the current trend of consignment vintage and some of these well farfetched certainly isn't an incumbent in the space but these uh retailers online and physical that are 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 getting on the boat totally and that's why i care about the latest that i'm seeing in the industry and news that comes out about the secondhand world 
So the second part of the episode is what you've heard before, which is find me XYZ. Questions, DMs, emails to hello at ingopodcast.com. What's in my inbox about what people want me to find for them? So let me read you a question uh, from a listener who goes by Motown47. She is a friend of the podcast. Hi, Linda. So she asks, how do you select a place to shop? Reputation? Reviews? Is there a quality difference in thrift stores versus consignment? Are places like Goodwill worth a trip? Now, this could be an entire episode. We've answered this in varying forms and we'll continue to do so. But let me give you just a quick rundown. One, how do you select a place to shop? As I've said before, Yelp is really helpful. Usually the more reviews, the the better it is or the more highly trafficked. Uh, That is just what happens currently. We'll see sort of if that continues. Reviews as well. Sarah, we've talked about this, that the reviews actually very much matter uh, and want to see... Uh, what people are saying about a store. A quality difference between thrift stores and consignment. This totally varies. You could be in a thrift store and find something of amazing quality, and you could be in a consignment store and find something that's kind of crappy. On the whole, consignment stores tend to have higher-end product because all of these items have been selected to be sold or loaned to this to this shop, And thrift tends to be donation-based, and they accept way more than a consignment store would. So generally, I would say that the quality is better in a consignment store, but that is definitely not gospel. So then the last question, are places like Goodwill worth a trip? Always. Always. I found amazing things. And you're not always necessarily, as I've said, somewhat of a label whore, looking for designer things. Maybe you want a comfy sweatshirt. Maybe you want a t-shirt for something. It's always great to check out Goodwill, among other thrift stores. Uh, And if you enjoy looking through a larger volume of things or have one specific item that you need, uh, whether it's a pair of sneakers or a hat for something, that's, that's always a great place to go. And something in my DMs, I had someone ask, say to me, can I ask you a consignment question? Which like, LOL, duh. Um, it's like, uh, it's so like, why do you think we're here? It's like somebody giving you a gift. Uh, yes. Yeah, here's, so, here's this gift. So she was having trouble selling a very high-end dress that wasn't a common designer label. This is super tricky. So I had actually, she's a very, very chic woman in New York. And she was saying that this dress isn't moving in my normal places that I sell. And she happens to sell a lot of different places. Uh, And it was a high-end designer that they sell in Barney's, but it was one that isn't quote-unquote popular. This is what we've talked about, about this idea of mass appeal and labels. It is really tricky to have something high-end and sell it that isn't a brand that a ton of people want. So I said to her she should go to the Ina stores in New York because they – recognize quality in their, you know, I, I've shopped there for a very long time. I really like them and they take very high-end things and they would probably know the brand since they know cult brands, they know high-end for sure. But like Sarah, we've talked about this with an Armani handbag, but this was an even smaller label than that. It's very hard to move this stuff. I am surprised just because the more I learn about this world and the more you talk about uh, you know, people that you've met through the consignment world and, and how knowledgeable, not everybody, but enough people are about this, that she would have an issue selling a really nice dress. I mean, d- does really nobody know this designer? 
So I had never heard of the designer, which, you know, I am not the ultimate source on all of these things, but I would say I monitor a lot of things and shop a lot. Yeah. I'm not surprised given the person that emailed me because she's very, very chic and a little bit, from what I understand, kind of alternative and really cool and like right. in the art, it's like art the, world. It's like the dress is like almost too cool for everybody. Exactly. But the problem is it's not a brand, it's not Gucci, it's not Tom Ford, it's not, a, it's not a name that a ton of people recognize. So in thinking about that too and the resale value of things that you buy, if there's something you're uncertain about that is expensive, that's high quality that you happen to really like, it is very hard to resell things that are more cult brand status. You know, it's funny. I, I, because I'm, I'm a, I'm a terrible shopper. I'm a last minute shopper. You know, if there's a wedding, I'm like buying a dress for the wedding the day before, and it gets to the point where I'm like, just whatever fits, you know. So just like, give me an extra small, and I'm, I've got it. Because of that, there's a Saks uh, outlet uh, off Fifth Avenue. Um, in Santa Monica in LA where I live and that's just like one of my places I just go in there and just like buy something don't even care who the designer is just wanted to like be passable for a wedding so I have a few dresses that someone will say oh that's nice who what who who makes that dress and I'll be like blah 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 and they're like "Mm, yeah never heard of that designer I'm like yeah me either but I'm also not thinking about the resale value when I'm doing it because I'm just a last minute idiot so that's something that I should consider in the, in the future because these aren't like $50 dresses. They're usually a few hundred. Yeah, and that's something that stops people up. I She was surprised it wasn't selling and I wasn't at all uh, because if you think about it, as I've discussed before, the things that move best in secondhand selling is stuff that appeals to the largest audience possible. On the flip side, you can get, and I have gotten what I can tell, like you can feel a dress and know that it's high end, even if you don't know the designer. So, you know, on the flip side of that is that you can find very beautiful garments that are that are marked down or aren't expensive at all because they're not these mass brands. But it is something to think about. I mean, particularly with, you know, the future of resale, the future of fashion is nothing new. Sometimes now, if you really want to consider the second, third life of a garment, and I've thought about this too, you know, what is going to be the potential resale value? I want to hear from you. Feel free to hop into my DMs or my direct messages on Instagram at INGO Podcast or on Twitter at INGO Podcast. Or honestly, my personal one, at Meredith Feynman. You can also submit a question you want us to answer by emailing us uh, at hello at ingopodcast.com. There's also a submission form on that website, ingopodcast.com. And we will be back with a full episode and lots of chatter soon. Talk to you soon, everybody. Hi. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 